Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Many of us get financially stuck and can't seem to get unstuck. By taking baby steps and getting support, I was able to establish new financial habits. Fresh Start 2021 is a 28-day financial reset. I invite you to join us to clear out old money beliefs that are holding you back and create a new successful money mindset. Challenge your money worries and let's get financially fit in February. We have created daily activities to expand your mind and your monetary skills with easy, engaging tips and techniques. Dare to dream. Build a financial frame of mind and grow your money with care. Join us for the month of February on your favorite social media platform. Our next guest, Diana Merriam, is the founder of the Economy Conference, and that's Econo-Me, M-E. It's an event centered around financial independence and known as the TED Talks of the FIRE movement. She's also the host of the popular podcast, Optimal Finance Daily, where she narrates articles from the best personal finance blogs on the planet. After getting out of 30000 of debt... In 11 months, she used her newfound financial freedom to negotiate a remote working arrangement with her employee, employer to take a two-month sabbatical to walk 500 miles across northern Spain on the Camino de Santiago and to launch her own business. Diana saved 60% of her income and is on track to be financially independent by the time she's 40 years old. She's 10, so she's got 30 years. Diana, (laughs) so great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Bob. Thank you so much for having me on. So um, I'm I'm so curious and I'm so glad that you're part of the FIRE movement because I always like to hear about that uh, because I want to get fired up. Uh, But when you were six and seven years old, were you thinking about financial independence? Were you like, what were you doing at six years old? Definitely not. You know, when I was young, I and I probably used to say this because I loved the reaction I would get out of adults, but I used to tell people that I was going to be the highest paid female CEO, which sounds adorable for from a six or seven year old. <laughs> it starts to get more obnoxious the older you get when you start saying that to people, you know. Um, but yes, that that is what I thought I was going to be when I grow up. Well, now at the time, did you know that less than six percent of CEOs and CFOs and all of that were not were women only less than six percent maybe at a subconscious level <laughs> so you were a trailblazer you were you were blazing right. trails but you went for the cute so that's good it, it worked right it worked it worked it worked and then what did you do? Um, so you went off to college what happened uh, you went through high school and then what was the plan? Yeah. I mean, the plan was really just to climb the corporate ladder. That's really what I thought I was going to do. You know, I was always very focused on just making a shit ton of money. That was my plan. Um, Unfortunately, I spent the majority of my 20s financially illiterate. And so just making more money is not a good financial plan (laughs) because if you can't manage a thousand dollars, you sure as hell can't manage a million dollars. And I definitely uh, did not learn that in my twenties until I was about 28 and I discovered the fire movement and realized that I was 30 grand in debt. 
Ah, so you didn't even know that at the point. You were just busy. No, just- I was just, it was, I was, it was just mindless spending. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my 30 grand of debt, half of it was student loan debt, which 15 grand of student loan debt doesn't sound bad at all, right? right. However, I went to uh, school on a full academic scholarship. I really shouldn't have had any student loan debt. Um, I took out loans for living expenses because they were offered to me. No one told me that, hey, you don't have to do this. You actually don't need that money. I just was rolling in it. <laughs> You know, in my college years. And, uh, and then the other half of my debt was simply from living outside of my means. You know, I, um, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I started my career and bulk of my career was in New York City. So I was just like, I had my twenties. I'll tell you that. Uh, and so living it up in New York City, just going out all the time, spending money with abandon. It was really just totally mindless. And I knew I had debt, but I didn't know how much debt I had. I never looked at it collectively until I was around 28 and I got really curious because I wanted to go on this crazy excursion for my 30th birthday, which is to go walk the Camino in Spain. And so I knew I was going to have to address the financial aspect of that. And I ended up just looking at my credit report and... I downloaded a free credit report. You know, you get it from the three uh, bureaus for free once a year. And I reviewed that and looked at everything collectively. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm 30 grand in debt for absolutely no reason. Right. I got to like do something about this. No, that's (laughs) great. And did your parents encourage you to get into debt? Did they encourage you to spend? Did they encourage you to be a millionaire? No. I mean, my mom was the breadwinner. And, you know, I I think I've always just seen that we were financially secure, but it was just kind of, you know, she would she would try to encourage us to save. She would try to teach us about money. You know, I remember she added us as an authorized user, me and my brother as authorized users on her credit cards when we were like late teens to start building credit. Um and the rule was like we had to pay back anything that we put on there. So I think she tried to teach us not to carry debt so that you don't have to pay the interest. Mm-hmm. But it, there wasn't anything really in depth, um, I'd say. Um, you know, it's it was just kind of very top line, like save your money, be responsible, pay your bills on time. Yeah. But not not really um, enough to keep me out of debt. Apparently. <laughs> now, who's a better? Money manager, you or your brother? Oh, me. <laughs> Definitely me. God knows what his money situation is. I don't even want to know. Don't even want to know. Don't even want to manage it. No. no. <laughs> so um, you, um, you talk about there's a difference between being rich and wealthy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What's, everybody wants to be rich, right? Yeah. So to me, being rich is, you know, when you when you are making that high income and you're just you're you have all the external markers of success the big house the fancy car um you know you're just spending money on shit you don't need yeah. Yeah. right that to me is what rich people do wealthy people i think they buy assets they don't necessarily look like they have a lot of money like no one would think that i have money I, I live in a house that I bought for $150,000. Nice. Thank you, Cincinnati. Low cost of living. Um, I bought a car for $6,000 cash. It's a 2010 Mazda 3. I'm not driving around a Tesla and like 
I'm living in a, in a big house, right? Yeah. So most people would look at me and not think that I had money. Um, but I have assets, you know, and I think that wealth is about having the money to do the things that you want to do. And to me personally, it means creating what I want to see in the world without any consideration. Uh, for the money or making yeah. an income from it. So like the economy conference, which is the event that I produce, I don't make any money from that. I mean, it's basically a full-time job. I took a 40 grand loss on it last year. I will break even this year and it will be profitable this year, but I personally won't profit from it. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, the way that I benefit from it is I get to create something that I'm really proud of and I actually don't want to put the burden of my livelihood on my creation. Yeah. And you know, it's like who has a kid at, and like expects return on investment? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that kid's going to cost you how many hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. over those 18 years or more because you know, everyone like lives with their parents till they're 30 now, <laughs> right? Like no one sits there and wonders when their return on investment or it, it, there's no monetary return on investment. There's a lot of non-monetary benefits to creating something. And to me, like that business is my baby. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's awesome. And so what I, I mean, when you talk about uh, rich and wealthy, what I'm hearing is intentional living, like oh, being yeah. much more intentional, whereas rich, oh, there's a bunch of money. I don't need to think about it. Cause I'm rich. I got a big house. Wealthy is, wow. What do I want to do? What do I want my legacy to be? Uh, and really just a bit more conscious in choice. Absolutely. I mean, I think once I've got a certain level of financial security, it just opened up bandwidth to ask bigger questions, yeah. right? When I first got into this, the questions I was asking were, how do I reduce my expenses? How do I increase my income? How do I pay off this debt? How do I you know, get my savings rate up? Those were the questions that I was asking. And then you know, now, five years later... I mean, I just got out of debt in 2016. So you know, five years later, I'm asking myself... Okay, what do I want to do with my time? Right. You know, what do I want to create? What do I, you know, what is, how do I take better care of myself? How do I spend more time with the people I love? Um, so it's just, I just think the nature of the questions change over time. Yeah. And so to that, like somebody that's listening is going to say, you paid off $30,000 of debt in 11 months. You're saving 60% of your salary. This is, no way. How And you got lucky. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Tell us why yeah. we can. Tell us why we can. Well, I think it's about a mindset <laughs> shift, right? So when I got out of 30 grand of debt, I was making less than six figures living in New York City. Well, I was living in the bowels of Brooklyn, okay. actually. And my rent was $1,800 a month for like a cockroach infested apartment in Sunset Park. Yeah. And, you know, I just had this light bulb moment when, when I first decided I wanted to get out of debt, I found like a, a calculator online and I determined it was going to take me like two or three years. And then I discovered Mr. Money Mustache. I'm sure you've heard yes. of him. And I like to say that his reading his blog was like this refreshing punch in the face mm -hmm. because it just completely changed my relationship with consumerism mm -hmm. and money in general. Yeah. And what I realized is I'm always buying something. Right. 
but I'm either buying shit I don't need mm-hmm. or time and freedom and autonomy. And buying time and freedom just became a lot more exciting to me. I also feel like, yes, I reduced my expenses. I stopped spending so much money, but it didn't feel like deprivation to me. I think if it feels like deprivation, you're simply doing it wrong or you're not, you're not very creative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I hope I'm not offending no, anyone. No, not at all. But I, I felt like I tapped into a level of resourcefulness and creativity that I didn't even know I had. Yeah. So for example, I'm a very social person. I'm like the most extroverted person I know. I love to party. I love to hang out with people, right? So a lot of my spending was going out and partying. Right. And like just going out to bars and all of that stuff. I was in New York City. It was great. So when I stopped doing that, you would think I would feel deprived, but I didn't completely stop. I just replaced it with a more resourceful way to have fun. I turned my apartment into like a place that was more fun than a bar. And I love to cook. I learned how to cook through this process. And so I learned how to make like a meal for eight people for under $30. Wow. And everybody would bring the booze. I would cook the food. And then I would invent all these ridiculous games. And I would have like these themes to these parties I would throw. Um, like I remember this one party I threw. I told everyone to bring a picture. Um, bring a picture from your awkward phase. <laughs> and then we like pass these pictures. It was hilarious. And then I would like, I would slip these, like I, I call this game suggestions. I'm doing air quotes here. Suggestions. Um, because I would just make up the most ridiculous things that I would suggest that people do in my apartment. So like, I remember this one, I had really tall ceilings. Right. Yeah. And so one was like, complain that the ceilings are too low or like, uh, go grab a tampon out of my bathroom and slip it in someone's pocket. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just ridiculous right. and people would have so much fun at these parties. Yeah. Right. So I would do that. I would host clothing exchanges rather. I mean, I wasn't much for like, shopping for clothes anyway, but I didn't want to buy any clothing. Um, but obviously I still need to wear something. And so I would, I would host these clothing exchanges where all these ladies would like all my friends who are much more fashionable than me would clean out their closets, bring it all to my house. And we would just like drink mimosas all afternoon, listen to music and try on any other, uh, on each other's clothes and like swap clothes. And it was totally for free. So that to me is like, I'm still getting my needs met, but I'm doing it in a much more resourceful, creative way that does not feel like deprivation at all. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, but like in those first, in the transition, right? So I'm going to the bars, I'm going to the bars. Oops, I need to get out of debt. What's the, what's the hiccup? What's the pause? What's the, oh, wait, stop. Like, how did you initially catch yourself? Not doing the spending, not doing that. And mm-hmm. then, and then what was the impetus to go, wait, let me get creative. Like just that little I process. I think it was, it was reading the Mr. Money Mustache blog. Okay. I became obsessed with that blog and it shifted my mindset away from mindless spending. Right. Um, I also wrote down, like I had a tracking app on my phone and I still do this. I track every dollar that I spend because I think the key is awareness. Yes. You know, you have to be really aware of where your money's going before you can like make lasting changes. And it's a lot of experimentation too, right? Like people will read a blog like Mr. Money Mustache and they'll say, well, I guess I got to ride a bike everywhere now. And then they buy the 
bike and they hate it right. and they're miserable, <laughs> but they think, well, this is what I got to do. No, that's what he does, right? It's an example of what he does. Right. He probably doesn't make his own laundry detergent, which is something that I did, right? right? And so <laughs> there are so many options right. to reduce your expenses. You you I think the key in like reading about this stuff is just to get ideas of right. what other people are doing. It right. doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for you, but I think it can spark some inspiration on like okay, what are the things that I spend money on and like can I get some good ideas on ways to get my needs met in a in a in a more efficient resourceful way. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I I'm not going to be making soap. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm not making soap. I was talking to this couple. I'm not making soap. But, you know, I could probably ride a bike. You know, it's one of those things. I, look, I live in L.A. Uh, my office is five blocks to my house. I drive Alexis to work. <laughs> and I can't because I'm like, well, what if I need to run out and I don't I don't have my car? Uh, I never do. But what if? Right. And I, right. I try. I, like I've been for a couple of years working on this idea because people go, well, you walk to work, right? And I'm like, it's five blocks. It's L.A. <laughs> Even though I walk my dog by my office almost every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's too far. Right. It's a well, mindset. You know, it's experimentation. Yeah. Like try walking one time and see if you like it. And if you don't, well, then there you go. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, that would seem so easy. But the idea of actually walking to work, even though I walk by there, yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Like, that's why I said I'm attracted <laughs> to the fire movement. I'm not ready to jump in the fire um, on a couple of things, you know? But, uh, yeah. but yeah. Well, that's like, it's funny. Even the way you say that, there's so many misconceptions about the fire movement. Right. Like, like you'll say, I'm not in the fire movement. There is no one handing out membership cards. Oh, I'll tell okay, you that. good. Okay. All right. <laughs> there is no, I'm in the fire movement. I'm not in the fire movement. I would say if, if it appeals to you and you identify with it, you know, I'm someone who identifies with the fire movement. I know plenty of other people who have the same philosophy about money that I do, and they don't identify with the fire movement because they feel like they're not extreme enough. Right. You know? There, there is a basic premise of increasing your income, reducing your expenses, and investing the gap. That's just general personal finance. I think the fire movement is maybe slightly more aggressive about it, yeah. um, and kind of um, doesn't subscribe to the thought that you have to work a nine to five till you're sixty five. Yeah, um, and that if you're financially independent earlier in life, you have the option front to retire from traditional work. Um, it's not a requirement to retire once you reach right. financial independence. But um, to me, I just appreciate the aggressiveness of it. I think it just aligns with my personality. Yeah, no. And I, you know, there is a bit of criticism about it, but I also think one of the things that it helps highlight again, and this has come up a few times in the last couple of podcasts, is this, um, when I retire, I can live my life. And uh, like, why are we waiting? Mm, like, no. start living it now. Make the 500 walk now, not when you're 82 right. in your wheelchair. Um, and so I think, you know, from that perspective, like, I don't know that I'll ever retire because I love what I do. You know, I, right. I mean, I, I do a lot of different things and it feeds me. So it doesn't, I get up and I'm excited to go to the office or go yeah. do it, go do a workshop. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on your definition of retirement, right? Yeah. And so 
That's a challenge. I do think we have a branding issue in the fire movement because retire early. A lot of people think that means I'll never work. I'll just sit at the TV and Um, wait till I die. Right. Which to me, even if you retire at traditional retirement age, please don't do that. Right. Like go do something else. And even if that may look like work to someone else, like people look at my economy conference and they're like, wow, that looks like a ton of work. I'm like, yeah. And I don't make any money from it. Right. I think we're that to me is what I want to be doing with my time. So just because it looks like work to someone else doesn't mean that it necessarily is. If it doesn't feel like work and you're not required to make money, for your livelihood, then I'd say you you have a, a a loose definition of retirement right there. Absolutely. What's fuck you money? Why do you need it? Ah, everyone needs fuck you money. Yeah. Um. So fuck you money is basically a level of financial freedom and security. So, and I, I think of it as a level that opens up on your path to financial independence. So if you think about a spectrum of like, I'm 30 grand in debt to I am financially independent along that way, you're unlocking like levels of the game, right? That come with their own gifts along the way. So like when you say, you know, don't live your life until people think this, don't live your life until you reach financial independence. I would say you're doing it wrong, man. Well, by the way, there is no way to do it wrong. This is your life. Do whatever you want. If you want to be miserable, I will not take that from you. (laughs) Um, but, But it's not, it's not a requirement, right? And so, you know, there's kind of debt freedom, I would say, you know, getting to ground zero is probably the first level of the game. Um, I would say, you know, getting your emergency fund is probably the second level of the game. Um, getting to fuck you money is basically when you have um, two, one to two years of living expenses liquid, whether it be in cash or whether it be in an easily accessible account like an after-tax brokerage. Um, what that opens up is not that you don't have to work anymore, but you don't have to work somewhere you don't like anymore. Right. Or if something changes about your work, you get a new shitty boss, let's say. Now you have the money to walk away or you have... You know, um, you want to go walk the Camino or you have someone in the family that's struggling and you want to take care of them because their health is struggling. You know, you have the ability to take a break basically when you have fuck you money, take a mini retirement, take a sabbatical. Um, the other level that kind of goes along with it, and that's where I'm at now is Coast Fi. Have you, I'm sure you've heard of Coast Fi. Mm-hmm. But tell us, well, I'll ex- yeah, tell us some more. Yeah, for the listeners. Um, so Coast Fi is when you have enough saved in your retirement vehicles that if you didn't put one more dollar in, you'd be able to retire comfortably at traditional retirement age. And so I was able to get there in four years of fully funding my retirement vehicles. So that's my 19.5 in my 401k, that's 6,000 in a Roth IRA, and that's 3,500 in a um, HSA. So it's about $29,000 a year for four years. And I probably had maybe 40 grand in there when I, because through my 20s, I probably contributed enough to get the match. Right. So, so when I really started looking at this and investing in my retirement vehicles, that's where I was. And now I got to the point just four years of fully funding that, I'm Coast Fi. So my traditional retirement is taken care of and I have fuck you money. So I just actually quit my job. My last day was last Friday. Oh, there you go. That's (laughs) awesome. Uh, And by the way, people, 
Get the match on your 401k. It's yes. free money. It's free money. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> so many people don't do it. It drives me insane. Well, you know, the other thing that drives me insane, though, is when people say, I'm maxing out my 401k. And what they actually mean is that they're putting enough money in to get the match. By the way, you are allowed to put in $19,500 a year. You can put a hell of a lot more than that 3-5%. I mean, I know some companies match up to 6 or more percent, but you know, you could you could fully fund that. Yeah. And you should. Less than 10% of people, whether you're making six, I mean, people making really good money, six figures, are not putting 19,500 wow. away into a 401k. Less than 10% of people do that. So, yeah, don't ju- it, do the match, like if that's all you can do, but put more in there. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I was just talking to, I have a bunch of young actor clients that are, you know, getting on TV series and they're making $150,000, $200,000 fresh out of high school, you know. And I was just talking to one of the other day and and I said, don't change your lifestyle to match all this new money. I said, your career may last five seasons. I don't know. I hope it lasts forever. But put the money away so that you can keep pursuing your passion instead yeah. of just like, oh, I'm making it 250000 Let me blow it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's this great quote that is actually talking about alcohol um, in a book that I read about not drinking. Um, but... It's so applicable to money. The quote is, we are so desperate for instant gratification that we actually rob ourselves of it um, through by overindulging. Yeah. Right. Now that's very makes sense when you're talking about alcohol, but it also makes sense when you're talking about consumerism. We are so desperate to buy this shit that we think is going to make us happy that we are robbing ourselves of being happy because we're robbing our futures and we're not really tuned into what actually leads to happiness, which is personal development. It's human connection. It's creation. It's, you know, I just, I just don't think there is, I think one of the the big mindset shift for me is recognizing that there's very little that I could buy that's actually going to lead to my happiness. Yeah. And when you realize that on a very deep level, and that take to to me it really took me years to to really get that because we are surrounded by advertisers telling us that we're not enough and we need to buy this that thing and you know even if we think we're above it. Yeah. It's, it really does affect us on a deep level. We've been, we've been conditioned from birth to yeah. be consumers. It's not like we're going to listen to this one podcast and overcome that. No. Right. I, I think it's a process that you have to continually work on your mindset about money and about what you value and about, you know, how you're spending money, how you're making money, how you feel about your money. Um, you know, to me, it is one of the most important resources in your life. The other two most important resources are your time and your energy. And the three of those interact, um, in, in really profound ways. And so, um, I just think it, it, it needs to be prioritized yeah. and not in the way that society would make you think it should be. No, absolutely. I'm, as you were talking about instant gratification, I'm curious if you've heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Study. Yes. Um, I, I just love that uh, analogy with the marshmallows of 
we we don't encourage delayed gratification um, between you know advertisers, social media, and everybody. T- you got to have it. You got to have it. Indulge mm-hmm. yourself. You and so it is. It's a culture that we have to fight against. Yeah, because I, I think you know, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like a lot of people sort of got on the rat race, got on the the gravy train of like, we got to spend, we got to spend. And when you're not doing it, it's making them have to look at stuff. So come on, spend with me. Let's all not look at this together. Yeah, there is a little bit of that. But I would also say the cure to the desire for instant gratification for me has been to just change what I want. Because I think if you... so. Again, going back to like drinking alcohol, right? So this is kind of fairly new to me. I haven't had a drink in five months and I used to be a very heavy drinker. Um, I was a very fun drunk. So it's, it's not bad for me. It's bad for everyone around me who misses drunk Diana. Um, (laughs) I feel awesome, by the way. But you're not making a Everybody else is like, yeah, everyone else is like, where's drunk Diana? Um, but you know, people will say to me, like, how could you not drink? Like, you used to be such a heavy drinker. Used to be fun. You know, don't you miss it? <laughs> you know, don't don't you miss it? Or right. don't like like oh, should I not drink around you because it's like it's gonna tempt you or something? Like you know, it's kind of like a taboo, just like money's a taboo. Right. And first, what's interesting about not drinking is it's the only drug that you have to explain why you're not doing it. <laughs> Right. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. But I tell people, you know, I drink alcohol. I allow my myself to drink as much alcohol as I want. Just like I allow myself to to have as much heroin as I want. Yeah, absolutely. I just happen to not want any. Right. Right. And so that to me is the key: is not to just put the wallet away and not spend. It's actually to change your desires around spending. Because if you really still like, I like to say it's not enough to not buy the Tesla. You actually have to not want the Tesla. And that's a different conversation. Most of the conversation about reducing expenses is like, just don't spend it. Just don't do it. You know, and it's like, no, actually to be successful at it, I think you have to to remove the desire yeah. to buy the Tesla and the fancy stuff. And that's a much, that's a lot of, that's deeper work. It know? is. And, and besides Mr. Mustache, where are those places that you get support or where you got support in shifting the mindset to say, yeah, I won't do heroin today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's something I, I, I usually start my day with. Um, I think I might not do heroin today. Yeah, that's, a good, uh, <laughs> that's a good way to start the day. Hmm. Uh, so I would say I have surrounded myself with a community of people that share these sentiments that I'm uh. sharing with you. So it's, you know, there's this great quote. It's an anonymous quote, but I wish I knew who said it. Um, and it's it's something like, if you look at your circle of people and you're not inspired, then you don't have a circle. You have a cage. Wow. It, the people you surround yourself is it's just so important. And it's a big reason why I created the economy conference because I wanted to find my people. And so by creating something that is very true to me, it's almost like I raised this you know, flag to say, Hey, anybody else feel this way? And then all of these people kind of flock to me. And now all of my like best friends are people that I, that I have 
created this amazing thing with. And, um, you know, I'm in a mastermind group with eight women. We meet bi weekly and we're all very goal oriented and very much aligned on these kind of financial matters. Um, so yeah, I would say it's not that hard for me because I'm just surrounded by like minded people and not that I'm surrounded by yes men. I definitely have people who challenge me, yeah. but like when I just quit my job, um, people outside of my inner circle, I'm sure thought I was insane. Why would you walk away from a six figure salary yeah. with nothing else lined up? And I'm not financially independent. I'm about six years away, but I probably, I mean, I don't know. I'd probably changed my timeline. Maybe I'll make it there sooner. Maybe I'll make it there later. My income is very unknown at the moment. Right. I could make 25 grand this year. I could make 200 grand this year. I have no idea, but it actually doesn't matter because I'm making the decisions now where my life now looks like I would want it to look like in early retirement or what when I do ultimately reach financial independence. So it's, it's this weird paradox where I am pursuing financial independence while simultaneously creating a life that makes it irrelevant if I ever reach it. That to me is a a sustainable way to pursue this. Um, But yeah, when I told all my friends that I was quitting my job, they were just like, fuck yeah, you go sister. You know, (laughs) they were just like, yeah. Yeah. Except for my mom. My mom was very freaked out. I actually, I did a... um, a webinar Zoom party actually when I quit my job and I called it a fuck you money party. <laughs> and I was explaining to people like how I was able to do this and why everyone needs fuck you money. And, um, and so one of the questions was like, what do your friends and family think about it? And, and I gave a similar answer, but I asked my mom to chime in, like, what do you think about this mom? And, um, I got her, her message is so funny. I, um, what did she say here? Uh, hold on. Sorry, I'm just no, scrolling okay. to it. No, it's okay. Um, it's really good though. She says, okay, I, I understand and I don't understand. <laughs> Part of me understands completely that it's important to be happy and fulfilled with work. And since you have FU money, you have the freedom to make this decision and to pursue other revenue streams. And I'm so proud of my strong, independent, and intelligent daughter. Oh, thanks, mom. Um, The other part of me is scared shitless. And how can you walk away from a six-figure salary in the middle of a pandemic? I try to keep that part of me fucking quiet and under control. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. I think she also recognizes that uh, I'm going to do what I want. And that's the power of fuck you money too, Yeah, is that people are going to have opinions. Right. And what's funny about other people's opinions is that they're actually none of my business. Right. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, let me ask you this. As you've done all this and you've made this shift, are there any little voices that still occasionally creep in that you have to say, thank you for sharing, now shut up? Or any... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So can just because I want people to understand that it doesn't all just shut down and life is perfect. Oh, yeah. So I'm definitely not fearless. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm fearless, but I have improved my ability to discern between what is a worry, that's my mind just 
spewing out worries as minds do and what is actually dangerous Mm -hmm. right i think i'm pretty good at fear setting tim ferris made this pretty popular where you look at like worst case scenario so what's the worst thing that can happen i blow through my two years of living expenses because my furnace and my air conditioner and my car all blow at the same time right i don't know let's just say right right what would i do then what would i do then and i just keep like challenging myself on these worst case scenarios and and approach them with a degree of curiosity. Um, I also would say that I've really built up a trust in myself, which sounds kind of cheesy, but it's like, I've done hard things. I walked across the country. It took yeah. me 500 miles. It took me 38 days to walk 500 miles. Yeah. You know, I paid off 30 grand of debt in 11 months. I produced an event and got 250 people to show up who nobody like knew me from a row of goats. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I had a blog. I didn't have right. a following. You know, I called on 150 people to get my nine speakers because nobody believed me that I could do this. Right. You know, so I just feel like I've proven to myself that I have a degree of resilience that even if the worst happens, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. You know, but that comes over like constantly challenging myself and testing myself and feeling the fears. But I mean, I would say my, something that I say to myself every day is let your curiosity be bigger than your fear. Yeah. Because I just kind of feel like fear is this wall. And if you are willing to climb up the wall and peek over on what's the other side, a lot of what you're fearful about isn't actually what's going to happen. It's just going to stop you from doing the things that you want to do in life. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's just built on a lot of assumptions that need to be challenged. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to check out those assumptions. And so often most people don't. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it really boils down to, again, letting that curiosity be bigger than, than your fear. Most people are f- so fearful about their money situation that they don't even want to look at what it yeah. is. Right. So just like me running that credit report to see that I was 30 grand in debt, it took a lot of courage for me to do that yeah. because I was scared to see. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know how bad it was. Yeah. But if, if, again, if you could just let your curiosity, let you see like face the music and just see what it is because no matter what it's figure outable yeah. and i think you've got to build that capacity to believe that no matter where you are financially yeah you're maybe you're not going to get to the place where you're financially independent by 30 or you're saving 60% of your income i'm not saying to copy what i what i'm doing i'm saying that no matter where you are believe in your ability to improve it no matter you know how small that improvement is no absolutely that is yeah i love that i love that we are getting close to the end so it's it's time for fast five i could talk for about six more hours uh (laughs) but uh uh fast five just down and dirty um what's the most expensive meal you ever paid for Oh, I know. It was probably about, I think it was $250. And it was this, or like $300, something ridiculous like that. And it was this guy that I was kind of seeing and he invited me to go spend a weekend with him in Colorado. He got booted from his startup and he like moved to Colorado. And 
I think he moved to Denver and I, and he wanted me to go like climb a 14 er with him. Yeah. So when I found out about his money situation, I was like, Oh Jesus, like I'll pay for dinner. And then he proceeds to pick the most expensive restaurant in Denver. And I like, I'm like looking at the menu, like, all right, buddy, shoot your shot, I guess. What the hell? (laughs) Yeah. I would never normally, but I was in a situation where someone took advantage. Yeah. Yeah. You got to set the budget on the, on the, on the meal purchase. (laughs) I I relate. Uh, uh, Biggest financial regret. Ooh, um, I would, you know, I don't have regrets because honestly, even the debt that I got into, if I didn't get into that debt, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I am now. Like that whole journey of digging my way out and learning about all this stuff. I don't think that I, I I needed to feel some pain to motivate me to, to, to get there. So I don't know. I don't really have I don't have any. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Do you think people outside of your circle uh, perceive you as cheap? Mm, Probably. Yeah. (laughs) I had a roommate. I had a roommate that I think thought I was pretty cheap because he knew I made a six figure income. And I was like, I was, I think he thought I should be like living the high life. He thought I should be pretending I'm rich. Right. Right. And, uh, and I'm like, no, dude. Like, I mean, yeah, a six figure income is great, but it's like, to me, in the grand scheme of things, like, it's, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not financially independent. I'm not a multimillionaire. I have enough money. Right. I don't have money to waste. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, well, we could probably spend an hour on that, but I think for a lot of people, you know, oh, I need to have $10 billion. Really? No. Because you really, the rest Most of- people need a million. Yeah. Most people need a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's these, it. And, it's just a million. It's just a million. And you live in a you live in a first world country. If you're listening to this, you have access to the internet. You most likely have a roof over your head and clothes on your back. We're all in this country. Like it, it, we are incredibly privileged. We are incredibly privileged. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, last impulse buy. Mm. What was my last impulse buy? Um, oh, laser hair removal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. I am very Italian. Like it is worth every dollar. <laughs> uh, that is so funny. Uh, what do you, what does it really uh, drive you crazy when you have to spend money on it? Taxes. God. Wait, you don't like it. paying taxes? Yeah. Come on. Everybody well, loves it. Well, you know, you got to do what you got to do, but it is, it's annoying. It's annoying. It is. Yeah, my my um my property taxes tripled um wow. because this house was, you know, it was flipped. So the value of it tripled, so my property taxes should have tripled, but it was really I got a little comfortable the first year when I was paying the old assessment. And uh yeah, yeah so then I mean, whatever. My property taxes are 4 grand a year. It's really not that big of a deal. That's not bad. But this is this is a first world problem, by the way. It is. Well, yeah. and you moved to Cincinnati, but you still have to probably do a city income tax return, just like in New York. Yeah. So and annoying. The, and the thing that's annoying about that is it's two percent of your gross. Ow. I know. That's that is very annoying. That's not nice. I didn't realize I do a couple of them for, for clients, but I didn't realize 
I just put it in the computer. <laughs> I never I know. look at this. Wow, 2% of gross. Nasty. Oh, my God. Well, all right. Now we're at our M&M moment, our sweet spot. Um, can you give the listeners a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom? Mm. You know, you told me you were going to ask me this, but you know what I was going to say when you told me before is I was going to say, let your curiosity be bigger, your fear so that you can just face the music and look at your situation. But I already said that. So what is another piece of um, practical advice? Well, something I'm doing right now, um, and I I don't know if um, it's going to pan out. But I'm using Policy Genius to kind of look at my insurance and like make sure I'm getting the best rates. Um, and I'm like, I'm kind of impressed with how they're going about it. Like, I just thought it was going to be some algorithm that I like popped my information in, but it's like an actual person that oh, like wow. evaluates it. I know they emailed me and like asked me a bunch of questions, and I was like, really, an actual person? Real okay. people this day and age. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I just got a call from AT&T this morning and I thought it was a real person because she's like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, I'm fine. And then I realized it was a recording. I was so (laughs) angry. (laughs) She couldn't even feel my anger as I hung up because she was a robot. Well, and as it relates to the other reason why I'm doing this is because for the first time I'm buying... Um, umbrella insurance, personal liability umbrella insurance. You can get like a million dollar policy for like what two hundred dollars a year. Yeah. And mo- and honestly, like who? Again, where is the adulting one hundred and one class where they talk about stuff like this? Because the only reason why I found out about it is because on my podcast, Optimal Finance Daily, I read articles every day from personal finance bloggers, and one of them was about insurance, and and it just made a passing comment about personal liability sh- insurance. And I just, I just Googled it. Like, what is, what is this? And really, if you have any, if you don't have, if, if you don't have any assets, then you probably don't need it. But if you own a home or you have any real assets where someone could sue, potentially sue you and take your assets, like you need to have, and it's $200 a year for a million dollar policy. Like, why wouldn't you? I I would have gotten it sooner. I just didn't know about it. So yeah, that's so awesome. Maybe that'll help someone on your show today. That's right. Get your umbrella insurance. It's so important. And it's, it is. It's cheap. It's super cheap. Yeah. It's super cheap. Well, listen, it's been so awesome. Um, you know, I just, you know, what I really heard you talking about today, because I always like to recap what I what I think I heard, um, to just really be intentional and shifting that mindset. Um, I, I really love the piece about not wanting it, changing it from not wanting it as opposed to just not buying it um, so that you're not feeling left with a hunger for these things that you've deprived yourself of. And I, I really want to encourage people. I, I talk about this a lot myself is getting curious, really having the curiosity um, and knowing that the worst thing that's going to happen is probably you're not going to die. The creditor yeah. might call you several times. You can hang up. Uh, you can eventually deal with it, but you're not going to die. You're not going to go to debtor's prison. Um, and like, but it's, it's definitely attainable for anybody. Anybody can do this if you're willing to put in a little bit of work, do a little bit of personal excavation and, mm-hmm. and really, uh, and have that aha moment where you say, I want to live a wealthy life instead of a rich life. And then really start to find what serves you and what's in alignment for what are the values in your life. Absolutely. I mean, that is yeah. awesome. Great cliff notes. There we go. Great cliff notes. But don't skip to the end. You got to hear the whole thing. Uh, where can people find you on social media, online, all that stuff? You've got a podcast. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you can subscribe to the podcast, Optimal Finance Daily, and allow me to serenade you with the sweet sounds of personal finance knowledge every single day of the year, including um, weekends and holidays. The show is 10 minutes or less every day. Awesome. You can also check out my conference, economyconference.com. And remember, economy is M-E at the end. Um, The event actually just got pushed to November 13th and 14th of this year. And tickets go on sale March 7th. So early bird tickets are going to be available from March 7th to April 10th. And then um, full price available after that. And we are fairly confident that we're going to sell out 700 people. We've got an amazing lineup. I'm about three quarters of the way done with the speaker lineup. Um, I'm about halfway done solidifying my sponsors. It's going to be an incredible show. Um, one of the attendees from last year described it as a party about money. This is not a stuffy financial conference. I mean, we've got a music designer, a lighting designer. You know, it's a lot of detail goes into facilitating community um, and you know, inspiring you when it comes to money matters. So highly encourage you to check out the economy conference. You can see all of the videos from the speakers last year on our YouTube channel. Awesome. Well, we will put all that up so people check it out. I hope some people buy some tickets and get financially fit. That will be awesome. So I so appreciate that. Um, I want to also say out to our listeners, please don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you prefer to watch our episodes, head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Diana, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and uh, wish you so much success. And I look forward to connecting again. Thanks so much. Awesome. Awesome. 